Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. Jason Zelda here with part three of Understanding the Old Testament. Uh, covered a lot of stuff so far. Part one, dealing with the books of the Old Testament and understanding that the books that we have in the Old Testament are the correct books by matching the words with the words in the Word of God. In video number two, we dealt with who is the God of the Old Testament. And a lot of you were surprised to discover that God the Father is not the God of the Old Testament. The God of the Old Testament is Jesus Christ. And there's a lot of people who sent me comments that they finally understand it now. They finally get it because they couldn't understand how it was and why it was that the organizations that they were part of were telling them that God the Father is the God of the Old Testament. And it just didn't make sense to them. But now that they're seeing by simply comparing the scriptures with the scriptures they now understand that the Old Testament is talking about Jesus and the New Testament is talking about Jesus this Bible is all about Jesus from cover to cover you need to check that out if you haven't seen it yet understanding the Old Testament part 2 who's the God of the Old Testament for this one here we're going to be dealing with names there's a lot of uh, groups organizations and things out here that are using all kinds of different names for God and they're trying to tell you that all of these names whether it's Yahuwah, Yeshua, uh, Yahashua, Yehoshua, Yahweh, Ahawa, I've heard so many different names that are popping up and it's just mind-boggling how people have been so easily moved away from the name of Jesus today now, if you're one of those who are using the words Yahweh, Yeshua, Yehoshua, Yahashua, I'm not beating you up. I believe you're using these terms because somebody told you something, but they left out valuable information that you needed to know. I've been a Christian for 37, going on 38 years. I've never been involved in any cult, so I can give you the word of God unfiltered and let you know what it's saying. It doesn't have to be filtered through any other mindset that I may have gone through in the past. I can simply give it to you right from the book. And my bottom line is to point you to the book, the King James Bible, so that you can learn for yourself and grow on your own. So that when somebody comes to you later on and say, Jesus is not his real name or something of that caliber, you'll have the knowledge to know that they're not telling you the truth. Even though they may have a lot of zeal, they may have a lot of energy, they may have a lot of emotion and everything backing what they're saying. You'll know if you read this thing for yourself, you'll be able to discern the difference between what it says in here and what other people are saying that it says. And if they're trying to tell you something that's not in the book, you'll know the difference. Before I begin, by the way, somebody left me a comment because they thought I was wearing a nose ring. <laughs> it's not a nose ring. It is an allergy filter. I mentioned this in one of my earlier videos, so I need to mention it again because they felt people would be scared away if they see a guy preaching wearing a nose ring. But it's not a nose ring. It is an allergy filter that helps me to breathe. I get really bad allergies, mainly when the seasons change. So by wearing this filter, it filters the air as I breathe so that I don't end up having sneezing spells and all kinds of stuff that happens with allergies. And those who have allergies, you understand. It's called NOSK, N-O-S-K. So if you have bad allergies, you might want to give it a try and see if it works for you. N-O-S-K. 
uh, I buy mine off of eBay or sometimes Amazon.com, whoever has them cheaper. And uh, it may work for you. Just make sure you scratch them really good before you put them in your nose or it's going to irritate you really bad. But once you get it in there, you don't even notice it. Just go on about your life and breathe easy. Now let's get back to business. In our modern day, we're going to be dealing, by the way, in this video with the name Jesus. Is it the correct name? Because there's so many people out there saying that the name of Jesus is wrong. And they're using all kinds of philosophy and vain deceit to lead people away from the name of Jesus to embrace any other name. And that's the thing I'm noticing when I began to research this. The people who are behind this movement, it doesn't seem to matter to them what name you call Jesus as long as you don't call him Jesus. They don't like the name Jesus. So they're trying to get the name Jesus removed from the English vocabulary and replace it with a counterfeit name. And some of the people who are doing this are very crafty in their ways of getting the message across. And they've been very successful. I mean, how many people do you know of today that are using words like Yeshua, Yeheshua, Yehoshua, Yahweh, Ahawa, and all these other names? Weren't using these names when I was growing up. All of a sudden, here come all these names flooding in. Where did they come from? We're going to deal with some of that. So we're going to deal with the name of Jesus. Is that the correct name or not? We'll find out. We're going to deal with, briefly, the name Yahweh and where that came from. Some of you may be a bit surprised to discover that the Yahweh and the God of the Bible is not the same being. You're told that they're the same being. They're not. We're going to deal with that when we get to it. And lastly, we're going to deal with the name Jehovah. Where did that name come from? Many of you who have a Jehovah Witness background, you were told that the name Jehovah came from a Catholic monk. It didn't come from a Catholic monk. The name's been around for a long time, and we're going to show you the name, where it came from, origins, backgrounds, help you understand it. And for those of you who watched video number two of Understanding the Old Testament, you know that you don't have to get all hung up over that name. That name has a meaning. We explained the meaning, why it was used. The fact that it was Jesus who used that title for himself, and the Father confirmed that that title is Jesus' title, not the Father's title. You saw all that in video number two. And again, a lot of you were very happy to hear what the Bible actually said when you saw how Jesus operated in the Old Testament, and then how he fulfilled things in the New Testament to show you that he's the God of the Old Testament that was doing all these things. A lot of you sent me quite a few comments, and I'm very happy to get your comments uh, telling me that you're very happy to hear that because you finally understand now the Old Testament a bit better, understanding that it's Jesus who was behind the whole thing all along. It's great. We're going to start off, first of all, with this battle over the name of Jesus. I got all my notes down here. It's a little below camera level, but if I lowered the camera down so you could see everything that's on this table, then you wouldn't be able to see me because the camera will be way down here. So I'm going to be looking down a lot as I have a lot of you know papers and, and things here that I'm going to be using. Let's go ahead and jump into this. There's a battle going on now over the letter J. When I begin to research this, it began to get very frustrating because I'm seeing what's happening. There is a systematic attack going on right now against orthodox fundamental Bible Christianity. This world doesn't mind Christianity, quote unquote. It don't mind religion. What this world doesn't like is fundamental Bible believing, King James Bible believing, 
fundamental Christianity. And this world does not like the name of Jesus. Unless they're using it as a curse word, of course. They'll use the name of Jesus as a curse word all day long. But if you're praising Jesus, worshiping Jesus, praying to Jesus, lifting him up, this world doesn't like that. So one of the ways they've been trying to destroy the name of Jesus is by attacking the letter J. They're telling people that the Hebrew manuscript and the Greek manuscripts of the Bible does not contain the letter J. And they say, see, because they don't contain the letter J, how can his name be Jesus? When you go into Google and you type in the words, the letter J, look at what pops up. You go down and what you see there, it says, if the J is only 400 to 500 years old, so they're saying the letter J is only 400 to 500 years old. Another one says, why is Yahweh's son called Jesus? Now, you're just looking for the letter J. And you're running into this attack on Jesus. We got one of them that says here, if the letter J wasn't invented until 1600, how did Jesus get his name? There are people who are using this J argument as a way of turning people against Jesus Christ. But in order to do so, just like the cults do, they only give you enough information to lure you through the door. But there's a lot of information that's kept hidden from you. And that's what I want to bring out here in this video. There's no need to run away from the name of Jesus. And there's no need to try to use some Hebrew name for Jesus. There's one name given unto men by which we must be saved. The name Christ Jesus. What we're going to do is we're going to bust open this King James Bible. Because there are some things you need to see. Because this movement is not new. This is not new, folks. This is a return of a spirit that was around in the early days of Christianity. It has resurfaced again to once again attack the name of Jesus and the people who follow and worship Jesus. We're going to open up to the book of Acts chapter 4. In the book of Acts chapter 4, You're going to learn a little bit. A lot of you guys are told that you know, when you were Jehovah's Witness, a lot of people who watch my videos are ex-Jehovah's Witnesses. I've never been a Jehovah's Witness, but I've done a lot of research into the group and put up a 20-part video that's up on YouTube for free for anybody to watch, exposing a lot of the secrets of the group called Hidden from Jehovah's Witnesses. So for you who have a Jehovah's Witness background, you were told that when they went out to preach, they preached Jehovah. They didn't preach Jehovah. They preached Jesus. I'm going to show you the proof that they preached Jesus Christ and not the Father. And because they preached Jesus Christ, they were hated by the religious leaders and they were hated by the government officials. And what they did to these people who follow Jesus and worship Jesus and praise Jesus and preach Jesus, because what's happened back then is gradually working its way back out again. It's trying to resurface once again. We're going to start in the book of Acts chapter 4. We're going to start in context. We're going to start at verse 1. So let's start reading. 
And as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold until the next day, for it was now eventide. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men were about five thousand. And it came to pass on the morrow that the rulers and elders and scribes and Annas the high priest, Caiaphas and John and Alexander, and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. So we have the religious leaders gathering together. They've arrested these men because they're preaching Jesus Christ being resurrected from the dead. Watch what happens. When they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have ye done this? What name are they preaching in? Is it Jehovah? Is it Yahweh? Is it Yahushua? Is it Yahshua? Let's see. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, If we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled, and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the men, the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves. Watch what happens. Saying, what shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle has been done by them is manifest to all that dwell in Jerusalem. We cannot deny it. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. They don't want him speaking the name of Jesus. Sound familiar? Verse 18. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. Who were they preaching? Who were they teaching in the name of? Jesus. We're going to deal with the name in a moment. But what I'm wanting you to see is how the religious leaders and the political leaders reacted to their preaching of Jesus. They told them, you're not to preach in that name anymore. Now what happened? They didn't stop preaching Jesus. They kept preaching Jesus. So what happens? Chapter 5. Starting at verse 27, they're arrested again because they would not stop preaching Jesus. Watch what happens. 
When they had brought them and set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not straightly command you that ye should not teach in this name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. And Peter and other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than man. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be the prince, to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. So right before the religious leaders and the political leaders, they began preaching Jesus Christ again. They were told twice now, you are not to speak in his name. But these men said, we're going to obey God. We're not going to obey you. They're preaching Jesus. They're doing the right thing. What happened to them? And when they had brought them, and they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not straightly command you that you should not teach in his name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, and to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things. And so it is the Holy Spirit, whom God hath given to them that obey him. Verse 33. When they heard that, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them. All they're doing is preaching Jesus. And now the religious leaders and the government officials are getting upset to the point that now they're wanting to kill these men simply because they're preaching Jesus. 34. Then stood there up one in the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law, had in reputation among all the people, and commanded to put the apostles forth a little space, and said unto them, Ye men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what ye intend to do as touching these men. From 36, he begins to tell about other people who rose up, claiming to be great, claiming to be great religious leaders, but their religious movements fell apart. Verse 39. But if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it, lest haply ye be found even to fight against God. And to him they agreed, and when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Whose name? The name they were preaching. Jesus. And daily in the temple and in every house they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. These men were arrested twice for preaching Jesus Christ. 
they committed no crime. But to the religious leaders and the political leaders, it was a crime to utter the name Jesus. In our modern day, it's coming back. Because now we have people who've come on the scene who are telling you, you're not to utter that name Jesus. You're to say uh, Yahushua or Yahushua or Yeheshua. But you're not to say Jesus. That spirit is back. And to what point does it come to where Christians like me, who stand by the name of Jesus, and who stands by the Bible that was handed down to us from generation to generation, how long is it going to be before a person like myself is going to be considered a criminal? You don't think I see it coming? You think I'm going to stop preaching Jesus Christ? You think I'm going to stop preaching from this King James Bible? No, I'm not going to stop. These men were whipped, publicly humiliated. What was their crime? They preached Jesus. And the religious leaders didn't like Jesus. The political leaders didn't like Jesus. But you see, even though their backs were whipped, they never stopped preaching. So how is it that people are getting people to turn their back on Jesus today without a single lash to their back, without a single arrest? How is it that people are getting people to turn their back on Jesus? They're doing it by what I call the battle over the letter J. They'll tell you there's no J in the Hebrew manuscript. They'll tell you there's no J in the Greek manuscript. And they'll say, well, how could his name be Jesus if there is no J? What I want to do is I want to present to you a video from a young man who is teaching this teaching. You're going to see his zeal. You're going to see his energy. You're going to see his emotion. He really believes that he's tapped into something we Christians have no clue about. He's going to make some statements. What he doesn't know is that whoever taught him these things lied to him. And he's been sent out to present his message. So he's put together a video, the whole nine yards, and he says he's going to make more. We're going to take a look at his video, and then we're going to come back and we're going to correct his errors. Fifteen books of the Old Testament. Gone. Taken out. A lot of information in them. A lot of information in them. Now, you might be wondering when the letter J came about, but... As you can see, this is in the Apocrypha. This is Judith. Okay, where is... Look, Jerusalem. No, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. So these are 15 books of the Old Testament. You can uh, go to the store and buy the Apocrypha of the King James Bible and receive these books. But they will be in the 1769 edition, I believe it is. Hold on, we'll 
find out because in the 1739 or 69 or something like that edition is when the J is added to the English Bible. Um, also, here is the 1611 King James Bible here in a second. Okay. 1611. King James Bible dedicated to James is published and authorized in England. In 1615, Archbishop Abbott forbids the printing of the Bible without the Apocrypha. So they forbid it to print it without the Apocrypha. It needed the Apocrypha. Then we have... Yes, it was 1769 was when the Oxford Standard Edition of the King James Version was published. So that is when the letter J was added to the Bible, which would be 1769. And in 1769, that's only like 300 years old. So, our forefathers and great-great-grandfathers and all of that, they did not know of Jesus because there was no J. So, I hope you guys enjoyed this one, and I'm going to keep them coming. Okay. So you heard what he said. You heard what he said. He said there's no J's in the King James Bible dated before 1769. Now how do you answer a statement like that? That is what is commonly called a straw man argument. A straw man argument works this way. You present your opponent with an issue that they may not be able to find a way to prove it wrong because they don't have access to the source material. So the person that makes the accusation, their accusation tends to stand because the person can't find the source material to prove whether the person is telling the truth or lying. So when they say there is no J in a King James Bible before 1769, well, how do you prove that? You'd have to have a King James Bible that was printed before the year 1769. Where are you going to find one? Where are you going to go to find a 250-year-old or older King James Bible? They know the odds of finding one is pretty thin at best. So when an argument like this is presented, it's often left to stand because the average person doesn't have time to go hunting around to try to find one that's that old. And even if they could find one, it's usually so expensive you can't afford to buy it. So they just drop it. And in many cases, that's how the lie continues to spread. Because nobody wants to wield the sword and say, hey man, what you just said there was wrong. And I have the proof. In order to prove that he's wrong, you need to have a King James Bible that is at least 250 years old or older.
I have one. In order to prove them wrong, you have to have the source material. I want you to see that this is printed in the year 1708. I'm hoping my camera will pick it up. Printed in the year 1708, it says right there. On the side of the Bible, I'm not sure if you can make it out, but it says Holy Bible 1708. Okay, this is a very old 310-year-old Bible. On the cover page, in Roman numerals, the Holy Bible, New Testament and Old, and in Roman numerals, 1708. So this is a Bible that is over 310 years old. According to what he said, this Bible should not have any J's in it. Am I correct? According to what he says, this shouldn't have any J's in it. So let's just see if this book has J's in it. Let me, uh, got to be really gentle with this. This is a very old book. It's got some really small print. There's a section here called the translators to the readers. The letters are really small, but I'm going to try to put it right at the very bottom line. You're going to see it says, Lord Jesus Christ, right above the word, a brief. I'm going to try to get as close to the camera as I can get it. It says, Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus has a J on it. Again, get all my pages here. This is the table of contents for the Bible. Take a good look, and you will see. You have the book of Joshua with a J. You have the book of Judges with a J. The book of Job with a J. You have the book of Jeremiah with a J. You have the book of Joel with a J. You have the book of Jonah with a J. You have the book of John with a J. According to his videos, there's supposed to be no J's in this book. You see J's? I see J's. J's in the table of contents of this book that according to his video is not supposed to have any J's in it. Let's keep going. Oh boy, can't miss this one. To the high and mighty Prince James. Boy, that's a J. Oh my goodness, look at that. My goodness, what is that doing in there? According to that young man, there's not supposed to be any J's in this book. How'd that get in there? How about this? Look, keep reading. The translators of the, of, uh, of the Bible, with grace, mercies, and peace, through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's a J in the name of Jesus. In 1708. According to his video, there's supposed to be no J's in this book. Let's get to the actual text of the scripture. Okay, I'm keeping it up here so people can't think I'm swapping books or anything. We're going to open up to the book of Acts in this book because I want you to see something. I want you to see something very important here. Acts chapter 1. The name of Jesus was spelt in a very unique way 
in the 1700s because the English language was a relatively young language in the 1700s. I'm going to try to put this on the screen without damaging this book. So I don't want anybody to think that I'm screwing around and trying to manipulate anybody. I want you to see very clearly. It says, The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. That's verse number one. I'm going to try to get that as close to the camera as I can get it. Now you're going to see the name Jesus is spelled J-E-F-U-S. You see that? J-E-F-U-S. Why is it spelled J-E-F-U-S in 1708? Well, you just keep reading. Verse 4. And being assembled together with them. Verse 4. And being assembled, two F's, together. Assembled, together. In 1708, the English language was a relatively young language. Compared to other languages around the world, the English language was a relatively young language. There were some letters in the English language that had more than one sound. Even today, the letter C has more than one sound. It has the S sound and it has the K sound. So in the word ice cream, both of those words have C's in it. One of the C's, one of the C's gives an S sound. The other C gives a K sound. So in English, we still have a letter that gives two distinctly different sounds, even though it's the same letter. Now, back in 1708, the letter F and the letter S gave a similar sound. Therefore, they were interchangeable. As the English language matured, the F was given its own individual distinct sound. Now that the F had its own individual distinct sound and no longer sounded like an S, it no longer fit the proper pronunciation of the Lord's name. So the F was taken out and the S was put in so that the name would be properly pronounced in English. But some would say, wait a minute, where did the J come from? Because in the Greek there is no J for the name of Jesus. So let's go ahead and deal with that here and now. Why do people say there's no J in the name of Jesus in Greek? This is why. I believe what's happening is people are relying upon the Strong's Concordance. Strong's has a good reputation, but people don't know who the guy is. And why does he have a good reputation is what I'm scratching my head over. Because I've been battling against these so-called modern Bible versions for a long time, that the, the things that they've been doing to the Word of God. You know, they call them modern Bible translations, but they're really doing damage to Christianity with the stuff that they're doing. This one here, take a look at this so-called modern translation called the Queen James Version. What's a Queen James Version? Well, it says it right here. It's the gay Bible. A homosexual Bible? Now, could you imagine if somebody had done something like this to the Koran? Heads would roll, literally. But nonsense like this is allowed to happen in Christianity and people don't seem to react. 
I'm called a troublemaker because I dare to bring this stuff out. But I say it's wrong for somebody to come in and do this to my Bible. You notice they didn't go after the new versions? They came after the King James. And they always do. When it comes to this name Jesus, when you look in the Strong's, Strong's worked alongside Westcott and Hort in the 1800s. Those of you who know who Westcott and Hort are, they're the men who wrote the New Testament uh, Greek manuscript that all the new Bible versions are translated from. All the new Bibles come from Westcott and Hort's New Testament. The King James Bible stands alone as not being from Westcott and Hort's manuscripts. And that may be one of the main reasons why this world is attacking this book, because this book is different. It tells it like it is, and Westcott and Hort were known for taking stuff out of the Bible. That's why in the New Bible versions they have verses missing, like Matthew uh, chapter 17, verse 21, Matthew 18:11, Mark 9:44, Mark 9:46. The list goes on and on. These are all stuff taken out by Westcott and Hort. So what we have here is Strong's, who worked along with Westcott and Hort. So why should I trust anything he says? But there's a lot of people who trust Strong's. When you go onto Strong's site online, you will see that it says, the name of Jesus is Strong's number 2424. I got it written down here on this piece of paper here. 2424, I want you to see how he has the name spelled. He has it spelled... I-E, with an accent above the E, S-O-U-S. Now, when you see that, and when the average person sees that, that's where they stop. They don't go any further. And because they don't go any further, they miss something that the Strong's people left out. But all they have to do is look at the page and look over to the left, and they'll see what was left out. So let me show you. You see where it says original word? Right next to the original word in the Greek for the name Jesus. What's the first letter? I'm going to zoom in so that you'll see it. Because most people say an I is the first letter. But if you look very closely, there is a hook right before the I. See it? Why is it that the hook wasn't brought over by the Strong's people to put before that I so that people will go, wait a minute, what's that hook mean? Does the hook change the sound of the I from an I sound to a J sound? When you look at the right-hand side where it says Strong's Greek 2424 and it says 923, 923 occurrences of the name of Jesus, you will see every single one and the multiple different spellings begins with the hook and then the I. Every single one. It's not just an I. There's the hook that comes before the I. And the hook affects the sound of the I and that is never brought out on Strong's. It's never brought out on websites that I've been looked out, looking at out there. They just focus on the I and they ignore the hook. When you look down, they're showing you these other versions, and they mix it in with the King James. And what you see over and over, the name of Jesus is the hook in the eye, the hook in the eye. Now, the third one is written in a different form of Greek. The Bible's New Testament comes from what is called Koine Greek. The King James Bible's New Testament is translated from Koine Greek. 
This third example is not the Koine Greek. That, you can see the whole letter structure is different for that third one. That one is thrown out because that's not even part of the Greek that the Bible's written from. As you go down to the next one, again, the hook and the eye. You go down to the next one, the hook and the eye. It's always the hook before the eye. The hook affects the sound of the eye, and that's never brought out. So when they wrote it in all capital letters, they left the hook out. And by leaving the hook out, gentlemen like this sees it and go, oh, my goodness, the name of Jesus doesn't even have a J in it. And they use like a new revelation and they make videos and the whole nine yards. And this young man, he meant well. He thought he was doing the right thing. Lots of people seen his videos. Not one single thumb down on his video. Did I thumb it down? No, it's not my job to thumb down somebody's video. If that's what he wants to believe, that's what he can believe. But you have a right to know what the truth is. He said in his video that there is no J's in a King James Bible before 1769, and we just showed that that was false. We just showed the evidence that that was false. Because the people out there don't think there's going to be people still around that has a 310-year-old King James Bible laying around to prove them wrong. The sword's unsheathed, man. I don't play around when it comes to this book. I never put my Bible on the floor. This is the word of God. I don't belong underfoot. I try to respect this book. And I'm hoping more people would do so. If God came down and gave you a gift and put it in your hand, how would you treat it? That he would come all the way from the heavens to come down here. To come to you and say, I want to give you something. It's my gift to you. Here, take this. These are my words. Preserved for thousands of years. They're now in your language. Translated in a time before the sodomy movement existed, before communism existed, before the politically correct movement existed, before the feminist agenda existed, before all of these strange movements that came on the scene, before the cults. God made sure that his word was put into our language. And this word is being attacked on a daily basis. And now the name of Jesus itself is being attacked with this whole J issue. It's a false issue. What is a J? Can we ask a serious question? What is a J? Can we just be honest about it? All a J is, is an I with a hook on it. Just like in the Greek, the name of Jesus is spelled with the I with a hook on it. Could it be as simple as this? As we saw in this Bible here, in 1708, certain letters shared sounds with other letters, so they became interchangeable. As the language matured, the letters were given their own distinct sound. Could it be, as time went on, there were other languages out there, and there's plenty of languages out there that read nothing like English. Nothing like English. Could it be that they simply saw in the manuscripts the name of Jesus has a hook and an eye. And that sound needed a symbol in English to represent it. So the hook and the eye were merged together and called a J. So that the people who are learning the English language would know the sound that that symbol makes simply by saying the name 
of the symbol. J gives the J sound. They simply took the hook and the I and merged them together. And when you look at a J, that's all it is, an I with a hook on it. When you look at a cursive J, it becomes even harder to distinguish an I from a J. Which letters on the screen? Is that an I or a J? How about this one? Is this an I or a J? How about this one? Is this an I or a J? Why do they look so similar? Why didn't they choose a completely different symbol? There's millions of symbols that could have been used. Why an I with a hook on it? Because the J is just a stylized I with a different sound to let you know the difference between the I sound and a J sound. They wanted to make sure that the name of the Son of God, creator of the universe, God Almighty, his name was properly pronounced in English. So they took the hook, the I, merged them together, and there you go. Call it a J. That way you know what sound it's supposed to make. And there you have your name, Jesus. There's no heavy lifting there. There are some people that say, no, 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 man, no. Jesus means, hey, Zeus. Man, I've heard that argument so many. Hey, Zeus, man. Hey, Zeus. Hey, Zeus. People actually are using this argument, too, to use against the name of Jesus. They are counting on people not going and doing research. They're counting on it. Let's put the Greek word for Zeus up on the screen. In English, it looks like Z-E-U-S. Let's put the name of Jesus on the screen. In Greek. Do you see a match? They don't match, do they? No Z in the name of Jesus in Greek. No E in the name of Jesus in Greek. So how are you going to get Zeus? But people are not doing the research. They hear it. It sounds good. They run with it. We got to stop doing that. It is very important to do research, mainly when it comes to the holy name of Jesus. And where are they getting this Zeus name from now? They're getting it from the new versions of the Bible. Right here. I got them printed out. I didn't print out all of them. I didn't waste my time with these so-called new Bible versions. I've already been speaking out against them for over 20 years now. The confusion that they're causing in Christianity because of the nonsense they're putting in the pages. The King James Bible used the word Jupiter. New Bible versions are using the word Zeus. New International Version for Acts 14.13 uses Zeus. New Living Translation uses Zeus for the same passage. English Standard Version uses Zeus. Berean Study Bible uses Zeus. Berean Literal Bible uses Zeus. New American Standard uses Zeus. Christian Standard uses Zeus. Contemporary English Version uses Zeus. Good News Translation. All these translations out here, fake Bibles using Zeus. The real Bible said Jupiter. So those who hate the King James Bible are able to go to the new Bible and say, see this Bible here says Zeus, man. When you say Jesus, you're saying, hey, Zeus. You don't find Zeus anywhere in this book. Nowhere. You can't match the spellings with the Greek 
It's all a big lie. Used to turn you away from Jesus Christ. And as I said, they don't care what other name you use. They don't care what other name you use. As long as you're not using Jesus. The name that the Bible tells you is the name above every name. The name that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. Those of you who saw the last video, you saw that. The name that the Bible said, there's only one name given unto men by which we must be saved. The name Christ Jesus is that name. And this world wants you to stop using that name. That young man in his video talked about the Apocrypha. How the Apocrypha was in the King James Bible. In 1611, the Apocrypha was in the King James Bible. But it wasn't mingled into the text like it is in the Catholic Bible. The Apocrypha was divided into one section and they were all together. Last book of the Old Testament and right before the first book of the New, they had put the Apocrypha right there in the middle. They didn't put it in there with the Word of God. It had its own little section. And over time, they determined these apocryphal books, these are just history books. The Bible should be reserved for the word of God only. The apocrypha is supposed to try to fill in those years after the last book of the Old Testament and the beginning of the first. Because there's several hundred years between the last book of the Old Testament and the first book of the New. So they wanted to have something in there to fill that. But they put a history book in there. Here's a bunch of history books. And it was very questionable about some of the stuff that was in these apocryphal books. So you know what? Take the Apocrypha out. They don't belong in there. And let's just keep the Word of God in there. Because the New Testament writers, they didn't quote the Apocrypha. So why should that be in there? The New Testament writers did quote the books that we have in the Old Testament. And we covered that in video number one. So the Apocrypha was taken out. Why? It may be history books, but it's questionable history about some of the stuff that's in there. It didn't belong in the Bible. The Bible is reserved for the word of God. God did not speak the words that are in the Apocrypha. Therefore, they're out of here. It's just that simple. If you want to read them as history books, it's on you. It's a free world. But don't equate them with the scripture. It's not the word of God. These are extra biblical books. So you've got to be careful with that. He said uh, in his video about the Apocrypha, uh, He's getting a lot of his information on the King James Bible from a website called King James Bible Online. I had to freeze frame one of the, the clips from his video to try to see what website he's getting his information off of. I want to prepare you guys for what's going on because the newest onslaught seems to be they've already flooded the zone with fake Bibles. The next thing appears to be is to flood the zone with fake Bibles calling themselves King James Bibles. Yeah. Again, there's not a lot of Christians out there fighting back. So the world feels like they have open reign to just attack Christianity head on. So here we have a site called King James Bible Online. And when you look at it, it appears to be a pro-King James Bible, going to preach the King James Bible, going to present you the King James Bible, going to give you the good old 1611 King James Bible, the whole nine yards. But when you look closer, you're going, wait a minute. This is a fake King James Bible site. Because there's information on this site that can be proven wrong. Why would somebody do that? 
there's things on that site that can be proven to be dead wrong about the King James Bible. On their website, which is King James Bible Online, they actually promote other versions. What is this? They have a section there about the Apocrypha. Again, straw man. They're going to put up a straw man, and we're going to tear it down. I'm tired of my Bible being lied about. Listen to this. Put it on the screen. Apocrypha. It says, the Apocrypha is a selection of books which were published in the original 1611 King James Bible. These Apocryphal books were positioned between the Old Testament and New. Uh, it also contained maps and genealogies. The Apocrypha as part of the... The Apocrypha was part of the KJV for 274 years until being removed in 1885 A.D. When was the Apocrypha removed? According to this, 1885, the Apocrypha was removed from the Bible. We got another straw man, boys. You know how to tackle the strong man. We're going to show you that the straw man is not a strong man. Because once again, we can prove it wrong. They said the Apocrypha was not removed till 18, what is this now? 1885. This is 1708. They said it was located right after the last book of the Old Testament and right before the first book of the New. Let's put it to the test, boys. Let's put it to the test. The book of Obadiah. Let's try to get that on the screen so you can see. We're going to go right here. The book of Habakkuk. Making our way over here. The book of Zechariah. And looky, looky here. We have... The New Testament of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. With a J, Jesus Christ. And you see, we're not at the beginning of the book. We are in the midst of the book. And you would think, where's the Apocrypha? This is the book of Malachi. That's the book of Malachi right there. See that? That's the last book of the Old Testament. And the very next page... It's New Testament. Let me try to get the whole thing in there so you can see it. Last book of the Bible, right here. New Testament starts here. There's no torn out pages. Where, there's no torn out pages, guys. There's no torn out pages. It is not in here. They lied. They lied. No apocrypha in a 1708 King James Bible. They said it wasn't removed till 1885. These are the lies that are being used to turn people against the book. They can't get you with the truth. They got to lie to you. They turn you against the name of Jesus Christ by lying to you. Leaving out valuable information like the hook before the eye.
Well, these are the kind of things that we're up against, guys. These are the kind of things that are happening in real time for everybody to know about the King James Bible. You got to be careful of the stuff that's out there. You got to be really careful a lot of the stuff that's out there because there's a lot of fake stuff, a lot of false stuff. And as I mentioned, they're coming out with fake Bibles, calling them King James versions. So you got to be super careful. Now, what's really the bottom line here? Why is it that they want you to start using the words Yeshua, Yehoshua, Yeheshua, and all that instead of saying Jesus? There's a movement going on to try to change the names in Christianity to merge them in with the teachings of other religions. It's been a slow, gradual process. The new Bible versions have been used to usher that in. Various different uh, TV and radio and cable preachers have been used to try to usher in this world religion that the Bible speaks about. And it's sad to see it happening in real time, but nonetheless, you know, at least we know where we are on the map. What they're doing, though, by putting these Yahshua, Yahoshua, Yaheshua, they're trying to merge Jesus with a being called Yahweh. And there's a lot of people out there who think that Yahweh and the God of the Bible are the same thing. And it's not. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the whole Yahweh thing because the waters are so muddy when you try to get down to the grassroots of this whole term Yahweh. But what I want to play for you is something basic and simple. This here is a chart. It's called the Kabbalah Tree of Life. And uh, I actually have it right over here on my, my printer. Let me grab it. The Kabbalah Tree of Life. I believe what's happening here is Kabbalists have come over to America. They found a ripe harvest field of people whose minds are open to receive these kinds of teachings. And they're reaping in the harvest of people who are more than willing to turn their back on Jesus Christ if that means that they think they're going to get some kind of closer relationship with a divine being. Um, Many of them don't believe they're turning their back on Jesus Christ. They think they're actually calling him by a proper name or something of that caliber. And it's just too deep and muddy of waters. But what I do want to explain a little bit is some terms that were used in the Kabbalah have already made their way into a lot of Christian churches. And there's a lot of Christians that don't even know that these terms came from the Kabbalah because the definitions of these terms have been changed in order to satisfy the Christian community. Uh, Two terms in particular that came from the Kabbalah that you'll hear oftentimes in some churches is the term Holy of Holies. Holy of Holies is found nowhere in this book. It's not in there. The term Holy of Holies came from the Kabbalah. It was brought in by way, again, of TV and radio preachers and cable preachers using that term Holy of Holies. And then the new Bible versions, of course, picks up the term and starts using it. And since most people refuse to use the King James Bible and all they're using is the new versions, they're going to start using the new words. The King James Bible calls it the most holy place, not Holy of Holies. You see, you can go to somebody on the street and you can ask them, what's the most holy place? And they'll more than likely say, well, wherever God is, is the most holy place. And that's a good answer. But you go to them and say, what's a holy of holies? They don't know what a holy of holies is. Unless they're Kabbalist. I mean, if you think about the term, the way that it's said, holy of holies, it's like saying the happy of happies. 
or the smiley of smileys. I mean, you're just using the same word two different ways. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. But when you say the most holy place, now it has a proper meaning. But that term holy of holies came from the Kabbalah. Another term that came from the Kabbalah that you'll find used in a lot of churches is the term Shekinah. You've heard if you have a Pentecostal background, a charismatic background, or an evangelical background, more than likely you've heard ministers preach about the Shekinah glory of God, the Shekinah glory, Shekinah, Shekinah. It's not in here. It's not in here. The word Shekinah was brought from the Kabbalah also. The Kabbalah is a, uh, a group of religious teachings. A lot of Jewish teachings are mixed in. They have a lot of mysticism mixed in with it. The Kabbalah has its own holy book called the Zohar. It also uses some of the Old Testament, but it turns it into mystical teachings. And they would say things like, God gave Moses a written law, which is the Ten Commandments. But then they would say that God gave Moses an oral law, an unwritten law, that was only for the elites to know. And that sounds to me a lot like Freemasonry. But there's a lot that's involved within Kabbalah, and people who really get involved in it will tell you that you can spend your entire lifetime practicing Kabbalah and never really understand what it is you're really involved in. It's just that complicated and that mystical. But the Kabbalah also has a god. And the God of the Kabbalah, they want to try to lead you to believe that this is the same God as the God of the Bible. They try to mix together titles used by the God in the Old Testament with their God. Well, we learned in the last video, video number two of Understanding the Old Testament, that the God of the Old Testament is Jesus. And I showed you the proof right here from the King James Bible. By simply matching the words from the Old Testament with the identical words from the New, the phrases from the Old Testament with the identical phrases that appear in the New, and the verses from the Old Testament with the identical verses that appear in the New Testament to show you that Jesus Christ is the God of the Old Testament. But as I've mentioned before, a lot of people have taken what's called the Tetragrammaton, those four letters, and they've put their own vowels in there to create a name for their God, and they convert that term, rather than being a title, like it's supposed to be, they convert it to a proper name, and then they build their religion around that title. So, that's what's been going on. What I want to do, though, to help those of you, because I notice a lot of people out there who watch my videos who uh, sent me comments using terms like uh, Yahweh and Yahshua and stuff like that, and what I simply want to do is to play for you a video put together by a guy who's actually reading this, this Kabbalah Tree of Life thing, and he's going to, there's a lot of Hebrew that's on here, and I don't read Hebrew, but he does. And what he's going to do is, this thing is called the Ten Holiest Names of the God of the Kabbalah. So I want you to remember, he's talking about the God of the Kabbalah here. He's not talking about the God of the Bible. But you're going to hear in these ten holiest names of the God of the Kabbalah, you're going to hear, if you have a Hebrew roots background, sacred name background, you're going to hear words, names used for the gods of your religion. In this video, I got a feeling you're going to hear some names that they use in your group. And hopefully it'll help you get a better understanding of uh, who I believe this Yahweh is that they're trying to lead you to, while trying to lead you to think that you're you know, praying to the God of the Bible and talking about the God of the Bible and so forth and so on. I think what they're really doing is they're integrating Kabbalah and trying to merge that into Christianity, sort of a Christian Kabbalah kind of thing. So I want to just sort of present to you this uh, thing to let you know a little bit about the Kabbalah's God.
because I think that's the real source behind the leadership of these groups that are calling Jesus Yahweh, Yehoshua, Yeheshua, uh, and all these other terms. Let's take a listen to this 10 holiest names of the God of the Kabbalah. And again, if you have a Hebrew roots background, you're liable to hear several names in this list of 10 that you're very, very familiar with that you didn't know came from the Kabbalah. So what is Kabbalah really? Kabbalah is the tree of life. Kabbalah is the map of the universe, right? So this knowledge can be used either for self-realization, for, for self-union with, with God, with the divine, with the infinite, with the most high, or it can be used, it can be used for evil purposes, right? It can be used for bad and for good. The good is what? Self-realization. And the evil, right, of Kabbalah is that it can be used for uh, domination, right, for mind control. Okay? So, let's have a look at it. It's written what? Uh, Sephirotic system of ten divine names. So, we're going to have ten names here, ten names of God, right? That these people uh, in the secret societies believe are the names of God, right? So, let's have a look at it. Sephiroth 10, Kingdom. So, I remind you, this is a map of the universe. This is, to, this is supposed to be, according to them, it's supposed to be uh, the physical world. And it's called, what? Malakut. Kingdom. And what is the Hebrew name here? Adonai. 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 Okay. Then what do you have? The Sephiroth is Yesod. Yes, so the foundation. What name do you What name do you have? Elohim. Eloah. Alahaya, right? Then what do you have here? Sephiroth eight. Right, honor or glory. Elohim Tzabaot. Elohim Tzabaot. Right, the God of hosts. Sephiroth a, uh, 7, victory. What do you have here? Yahweh Tzabaot. Yahweh Tzabaot. Right? Okay. Then, oh, we have, we have our symbols here, right? What was in the temple? Uh-huh. And you have Tiferet. The realm, the world of grace. Yahweh, right? The name is Yahweh, Yod He Wow He, or Yahuwah, or Yahawa, whatever. Sephiroth 5, right? Fear, severity, Pechad, Elohim, 
Sephiroth 4, Magnificence, Allah or El, right? Chesed, Mercy. The name here is El. Then what do you have here? You have the laws, you see? Tables of Moses. The law of Moses is reflection of eternal law. So they know we have to follow the law to succeed in life, you know? To, to be one with God, with the Almighty. To have self-realization. They know we have to follow the laws of Moses. And uh, by the way, here in the human body, it is supposed to be the heart, the place of the heart, right? So, it reminds me of a, of a verse in the Tanakh where it says that uh, this day I will, I will put my laws in their hearts. This is the heart chakra. Because this is a map of, of the chakras as well in the human body. This is a map of, of the universe and this is the map of the chakras because we are made in the image of the universe. Here, what do we have? Sephiroth 3 Intelligence or spirits, what is the name? Yahweh Elohim Right? Sephiroth of Bina, intelligence. Yahweh Elohim is the name. Right? Then Sephiroth 2, highest wisdom. What is the name? Yah. Yah is the name. Then what do you have? The last one, highest crown, horizon of eternity, Sephiroth first. What is the name here? Ahaya. So that's what I have there for the section on Yahweh. So that's going to be something for you guys to research more to find out if you're using names like Yahweh, Yehoshua, Yahshua, uh, Yeheshua, and all these other terms. You might want to look into that and find out what's really going on because there's a lot of people that's come along teaching a lot of strange things out there. And I'm just trying to do my little part to uh, straighten things out. Now lastly, and here's the part many of my viewers have been waiting for, the background and the history of the name Jehovah. What is the background, what is the history of the name Jehovah? Those of you who have been Jehovah's Witnesses, as I've mentioned before, I've never been a Jehovah's Witness, you guys know that, but I've done a lot of research into the group and was able to find out a lot of things as an outsider, and the rest is history, and I've put together a series online, you guys already know about it. So, <clears throat> um, the background of the name, where did it come from? You were told that the name came from a Catholic monk. It didn't come from a Catholic monk. The Catholic Church leadership has been known for taking credit for things they didn't do. Okay, it's a long, long history. I'll need to go down a big list of things, but they have a long history of claiming things that they didn't really do. So where did the name actually come from then? The name actually came from the manuscripts. It came from the Jewish manuscripts. Part of the problem is, when the manuscripts were being copied, they were being copied in several different styles. One of the styles, of the styles most of you are familiar with, is called unsealed. It's all, like, all block letters, you know, big letters, and no vowels. So most times when you see the name Jehovah spelled out, it's spelled like this. Okay, no vowels. 
Well, there's a group of Jewish men known as the Mesorets, and when they put together their manuscripts, they wanted it to be that if you can read Hebrew, you can read their manuscripts. And the vowels were left in. This here is called the Apello Codex. The Apello Codex. This is a section of Joshua chapter 1 and verse 1. We'll put it up on the screen for you. This is from the Mesoretic Manuscripts. So, being that it's the Mesoretic Manuscripts, and the King James Bible comes from the Mesoretic Manuscripts, we can go to the King James Bible and find out what it says. So since we know it's Joshua chapter 1, verse 1, let's just read what it says here out of the King James Bible. It says, Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord... It came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying. Now you'll notice in this verse the word Lord, capital L-O-R-D, appears two times. So you would expect then that in this manuscript, this little fragment that we have here, that the four-letter sequence, the tetragrammaton, would be in here. And it is. It's right here, and it's right here. And I'm going to put it on the screen and put arrows so you can see it. It's in two places on the manuscript, just like it's two places in the verse. But what I want you to take note of is because these are Masoretic manuscripts, they left the vowels in. So these are the vowels. So we can actually spell it out now. So let's go ahead and spell it out and see what it spells. Before we begin spelling it out, there's a couple of things that we need to know about Hebrew. First of all, Hebrew is not read from left to right like we do in English. It's read from right to left. We'd say it's being read backward, but for them it's being read forward. The second thing is the vowels in Hebrew are not placed to the right of the letters like they are in English. That's not how they did them in the manuscripts. The vowels are placed underneath. So as we're spelling it out, you'll look up for the consonants, you'll look down for the vowel, you'll look up for the consonant, and you'll look down to see if there's a vowel as we're spelling it out. So let's go ahead and spell this out. Here's a chart of Hebrew letters and the sounds that they make. And we're going to go ahead and spell it out and sound it out. <coughs> so the first letter here that we have is the letter Yod. Yod. It looks like an apostrophe here in the manuscript. Yod. Yod, according to the chart, is the letter Y. So the first letter would be Y. You now look down to see if there is a vowel. And there is. The two dots underneath the Yod is a vowel. So that vowel is the letter Shiva. Shiva is the letter E letter E according to the chart. We now look back up for the next letter. The next letter is He. He is the letter H. We look down to see if there is a vowel. There is no vowel, so we now go to the next letter, which is the letter Vav. Vav. Vav is the letter V. You look underneath to see if there is a vowel. There is. There's a line and a dot there. So the line and the dot, that is the letter Kamatz. Kamatz is the letter A. Now there's one more letter, that's a He at the end, which is a letter H. But I've heard that there is a rule in Hebrew that if you have a Kamatz, which is the letter A, followed by a He, which is the letter H, 
then the H becomes a silent letter because komatz, being the letter A, gives the ah sound, and A and H also gives the ah sound. So there's no need for two ahs or an extended H at the end when it's given the same sound. So I heard that the H at the end becomes a silent H, or the he becomes a silent he, if there's a komatz before it. But we'll do it both ways. We'll do it with the A, and we'll do it without the A. So when you spell it out, it comes out to Y-E-H-V-A or Y-E-H-V-A-H. Now some say, well, how do you get from Yehovah to Jehovah, as it's spelled in the King James Bible? That's where you go to language. What we have is this. There's people that tell you there's no J in ancient manuscripts. Well, that's, uh, that's a straw man, as we talked about earlier. When you look in, I want to say, 1993 unabridged Webster's Dictionary, letter J, it lets you know this. It says, uh, J, the tenth letter, and we're going to take this off of, also off of, uh, uh, I'm going to put it up on the screen for you, also from Wikipedia. It says, J, the tenth letter in the modern English alphabet, and the ISO, basic Latin alphabet. Its normal name in English is J, or now commonly J, with a J-Y. Now listen to this. When used for the palatal approximate, it may be called Yod. Yod. The first letter in the Tetragrammaton, Yod. So according to that, the equivalent of the J in Hebrew is Yod. Yod can be a Y, Yod can be a J. Again, the anti-J movement, not going to tell you about that. But that was really, really easy to look up for anybody that really wants to know about it. So since we learn, what is by some say what's a palatal approximate? It, this is what it says about the palatal approximate. It says the voiced palatal approximate is a type of consonant used in many spoken languages. The symbol in the international phonetic alphabet that represents this sound is J. The equivalent X sampa sample is J, and the Americanist phonetic notation it is Y. Okay, so for the international languages, it's a J. But in the English, it comes across as Y. You know, so it's just one of those things where the J and the Y seem to be interchangeable. The same way back in 1708, the F and the S were interchangeable. And a lot of people just simply aren't told about that. So they say, where did Jehovah come from? Well, it came from the manuscripts. And the Yod, at the beginning, can equal a Y or it can equal a J. So you can have Yehovah, or you can have Jehovah. You gotta understand, guys, the men who translated this King James Bible were not a bunch of rookies. They were chosen by the king because of their skill and their knowledge of languages. Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic, Latin, and a whole bunch of other languages. These men were super intelligent guys. That's why they were chosen to translate this.
So I'm not going to sit here and second guess them. When these men knew multiple languages, many of them, and they were sitting there with more than 5,000 manuscripts in front of them and were able to compile them all together, translate them, and their work has stood the test of time. To this day, King James Bibles are still being printed on printing presses all over the world. And even the cults that don't even believe in the King James Bible, some of them still print them because they know where the real power is. So that name, Jehovah, it didn't come from a Catholic monk. By the way, this Apello Codex is dated the 10th century. 10th century. So that means that this manuscript is at least two to three hundred years before the Catholic monk Martini was ever born. So how can he claim he invented the name when the manuscript here is about two to three hundred years before he was ever born? Already had the name spelled out. But that's not the only one. There's more ancient sources that had the name already spelt out as well. This is a book here called In All of Thy Word. In All of Thy Word. It's a very thick book, man. In this book, they take a, a, quite a few pages talking about the word Jehovah. There's a guy from the 1700s named John Gill who had written a book. What John Gill did is uh, he wanted to trace back, from what I understand, he wanted to trace back what is the earliest writing that has the name Jehovah already spelled out. Understanding that term is just an ex a, a term that means Lord. Okay, so it's a title that means Lord. It's not God's actual proper name as we talked about in the last video. It is a title that Jesus used of himself in the Old Testament. It's the title he used the most because it means the Lord. And what it was supposed to do is people would read the Old Testament and read about the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. And then in the New Testament, they run into the Lord, Jesus Christ. And they were supposed to put two and two together and realize that Jesus Christ is the God of the Old Testament as well as the God of the New but what ended up happening, as I mentioned in the last video, is a lot of people came along and they took that four-letter tetragrammaton, they began to put their own letters into it, and turning the tetragrammaton into a proper name, and then after turning it into a proper name, giving that title to the Father, and then they create a religion around this new name that they've put together. Whether they want to call it Jehovah, as in Jehovah's Witnesses, where they did the same thing, and they have a whole different Jehovah than the Jehovah of this book, the God of the Jehovah's Witnesses is not the God of this King James Bible. Completely different being. Same name, completely different being. Okay, so I don't want you guys to get confused about that. Completely different being. Because the Watchtower will tell you the Jehovah, the Watchtower is not Jesus Christ. They will tell you that. But I showed you in the last video what the Jesus Christ of this Bible is the God of both the Old and the New Testament. So they have a completely different Jehovah over there. John Gill was able to trace back this name, Jehovah, already printed out all the way back to, and we'll put a chart on the screen for you if I can get it up there, uh, 277 B.C. is the earliest one he was able to find. 277 B.C. places it about, what, almost 1,500 years before the Catholic monk was born? A.D. 90, uh, AD 70 with uh, Josephus. And they're mentioning actual page numbers here, I guess in the man's book, as to where he talks about these things. So, uh, A.D. 120 in the Zohar. A.D. 200, I believe that's going to be the Masoretic Manuscripts. Uh, 
what it already spelled out. Origin in AD 250, Jerome in AD 380, all of these are way, way before the Catholic monk. Long before him, the name was already out there. But I'm wanting you to understand that as a Christian, you don't have to get hung up over that name. You don't got to be worried about that name. You don't have to use it if you don't want to. It only appears seven times in the King James Bible. And of the seven times, three of the seven times, there's another name connected to it to show you that it's a title and not a proper name. So there's no need to get hung up on it. The whole purpose of that name was to lead you to Jesus. And once you come to Jesus, you don't got to be worried about that name. Jesus is the name we're supposed to deal with. Now, here's something that I got I to gotta put out there. A lot of you, when you heard that the name Jehovah was invented by a Catholic monk, you believed it. And not only did you believe it, but some of you made videos where you went out to Jehovah's Witnesses and to their halls or wherever you could find them. And you told them that the name Jehovah was invented by a Catholic monk. Now that you know that it was not invented by a Catholic monk, you have an obligation. There are some people who think that uh, if they admit they're wrong, people are going to think they're weak. You'll be surprised how much respect you get from somebody when you admit that you're human. You'll be surprised. Sometimes you hear things and it sounds right and it's not. And when you find out that it's not, you have an obligation to set the record straight. There are people who watch my videos and they trust what I say. And trust me, I do not take it for granted. It's a major responsibility. I'm accountable for the things that I say. I know there are people out there that listen. There's people that watch your videos if you've been posting them and they believe what you say. Now, if you've put up something that was false and now that you know it's false, what are you going to do? You have an obligation to do two things because there are people who are watching your videos, people who believe you, people who trust you. You have an obligation to take down the video that has the error in it. That's the first thing. But not everybody that saw that video with the error in it is going to notice the video's gone. They're going to be looking for your next video. So you need to post a video explaining that you thought this name was invented by a monk and you found out otherwise and you wanted to set the record straight. Because the last thing you want to do is to go out there and present something false. Because you should know just like I know. You can be right about 99 things when you're talking to somebody who's involved in a cult. If you're wrong about one, they will use that one thing as a hammer to come at you. They'll use that one thing as a reason to stay in the cult. You don't want to introduce false information into your argument. So you have a responsibility to put up a video explaining, hey, I, you said something, you thought it was right, you found that it wasn't right, and you simply wanted to set the record straight. No harm in doing that. No foul. The foul would be to leave the error online, to leave it up there. That would be the bad thing, because you don't want to be somebody spreading false information. There are some people who ask, 
if Jesus Christ is the Jehovah of the Old Testament, as this King James Bible clearly teaches, then what is the Father's name? What's the Father's name? Jesus is Jehovah. All we can do is stay within the parameters of the book, and that's what I would prefer all of us who are Christians to do, is to never go outside the parameters of the book. You stay within the parameters of the King James Bible if you want to understand the book. You don't have to go outside the book to get the answers. The answers will be in the book. So if we want to know what the Father's name is, the only name he was called is Father. He was called Heavenly Father. He was called uh, Holy Father. He was called our Father. Father was the name that was used for him over and over again. Jesus never called him Jehovah or Yahweh or anything else. Just Father. When his disciples asked, teach us how to pray. Jesus said, when ye pray, say, Our Father. Now, in video number two, I showed you guys about rightly dividing the word of truth by matching the words with the words, the verses with the verses, and the phrases with the phrases. So you match the identical phrases that are found in the Bible in order to get the biblical understanding. So if you want to know what God the Father's name is, you just simply trace the word Father with a capital F through the scriptures. And what you'll run into is something very interesting. Matthew 23, 9 says, call no man father upon the earth, for one is your father, which is in heaven. Why would God take such a hard line and say, call no man on earth father? Could it be this simple? Because father is God's name. Therefore, he doesn't want any man using that name. Because some of us may not have had good dads. We may have had mean dads. We may have had evil dads. We may have had wicked dads. And God did not want us calling our dads father. That title, that name, he reserved for himself. But sadly, we humans just ignored what Jesus said and still calls our dad Father. So when people think of the Heavenly Father, many of them will think about their dad. And if their dad was not a good man, God tends to get a bad rap because they're like, well, I don't want a God that's going to be like my dad was. But the Bible said, call no man on earth, Father. But we do it anyway. And it ends up hurting what the scripture's telling us. If we had simply obeyed what he said, we would have a reverence for that title, understanding that that title and that name belongs to God the Father, reserved for him. It could really be just that simple. God the Father's name is simply Father. It doesn't get much simpler than that. And also, to help you guys with your Bible study. I can recommend some software for you. It's called the Pure Bible Search Software. I'll provide the link. You can also search it on your search engine. Pure Bible Search Software. 
uh, I had found this online, and what it is, it's the King James Bible all the way through. And it's for Windows, it's for Mac, it's for Linux, it's for cell phones as well. It's free of charge, doesn't cost anything. And literally, you can type in words. You want to know what the word grace means? You want to know what you know, various words? You can just type them in. And if that word appears in the King James Bible, it'll show you every verse where it appears. And you can just double click and read it. And you can get the biblical understanding of these terms and words. You can match the words with the words, the phrases with the phrases, the verses with the verses. You may think there's a verse in the Bible because you heard somebody say it. And if you type it in there and a line is going to go through it, line goes through it. That's not what the verse says. There's a lot of us that think the Bible says this and the Bible says that. It's a good test. Put on the, that program. Just type it in the way it's in your head. And you might find out that you, you didn't get that verse right. You didn't read it correctly. Or you're not remembering the verse correctly. It is a very good learning tool. For some of the words, you can just click on the words that are there in the verse. And it'll give you a definition underneath. It's a, it's a work in progress. It's still... Uh, in, I'm not sure if it's a beta form or beta test or whatever, but it appears to be a, a pretty interesting software to have if you want to simply rightly divide the Word of God by typing in words and getting the definitions and uh, the biblical definitions by searching those words through the Bible. It's much faster than just trying to go through the Bible itself and try to match everything. When you just simply take it, type in the word, you can really come to an understanding. Uh, because you'll find all the verses that has those words and phrases in it. So hopefully that'll be a help to some of you. Well, guys, I think that just about does it. I think I've covered everything. Um, I had somebody uh, actually send a comment and, and attack me for a few things. And one of the things they attacked me for was my green screen behind me. And they don't understand why I do my videos in front of a green screen. Um, some of you notice some of my videos, I have a picture behind me, make me like I'm this place or that place or in a hallway or wherever I'm, that's part of the fun of having a green screen. You can make your, yourself appear to be anywhere. It's not about where I appear to be. It's what I'm saying. But there are some who have attacked me because of the green screen and, uh, it's just a green screen guys. No big deal. I use it to project uh, pictures behind me so that I'm not just sitting here in front of a green screen. Sometimes I don't do my lighting correct and I'm not able to put, put a picture behind me. That's why I end up with some videos where it's just a green screen. Because if the lighting is done wrong, you can't put a picture behind you. It just won't work. And those of you who are familiar with Hollywood special effects movies, that's how they do the movie. They use a green screen. They're able to project all kinds of stuff on the screen to make it look like it's actually there. Another thing I had gotten attacked about, and I'm going to go after this, is I was attacked because I have a donation link on my YouTube page. And I just want to say this for those that have a grievance with me having a donation page on my YouTube and as well as my other channel. I had a channel before I was on YouTube for, let me see, I think I've had that other channel for about 14 years. 14 years. You know how much money I made in 14 years? Zero. Did I keep preaching? I kept preaching. I've never made a single dime off that channel. But the donation links have been up there. I never asked you guys for money. You can check all my videos that I've done. And there's a lot of them that I have here on YouTube. You will not once find me begging for money. 
I put it up there because people came and asked me, how can they help? People have no idea the things that I do to help people because I don't say anything. I don't go around bragging. That's not who I am. But I spend out of my own pocket helping people. And every little bit helps. Okay. I've only been doing YouTube videos for about four years as far as ministry videos. And in that time, I'm thankful for the eight people. That's right, about eight people who've donated in the last four years. I am thankful for those who've taken the time. And those who've wanted to donate and not able to, no problem. It's okay. That's not what I'm here for. I'm here to give you the gospel of Jesus Christ, to point you to Jesus Christ and to this King James Bible. And if some of you guys feel moved to do something, at least you have a way to do it. Okay? But I just want to sort of set the record straight there because it's kind of rough to have somebody that doesn't even know me, never met me, never talked to me, never asked me anything just to come after me that way and have no understanding whatsoever of the things that I do behind the scenes to help people I don't even know. So that's about it, guys. It's been uh, it's been a rough weekend for me, so I'm going to go ahead and finish this video and try to get it up there for you guys and I uh, hope you guys have a good one from here forward I should be able to start posting up the audio version of the uh, King James Bible looking forward to doing that uh, thank you also to those of you who've been enjoying my music that I've been posting online uh, my new music website jasonzelda.com um, thankful for uh, all you guys who've been stopping by and and uh, saying hello and and things so that's about it for me, guys. I'm done. Hopefully I've been a help to you guys. And uh, I hope you all have a great day. And I'll see you down the road.